Doug South Studios in Oxford, Mississippi. We're mass communicating. It's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see if it pays off for them. This is the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DougSouth.com. I give it a, uh, a 10. A 10. Sweep the leg. You have a problem with that. And now, here your host, Rocky LaFleur. Everybody on? Good. Great. Grand. Wonderful. No yelling on the butt. Josh Webb. Sorry I had a fight in the middle of your butt. I'm part of And Jake LaTondres. I'm bad news. Also starring Rob Crew. I bet this guy's into the woods a hundred bucks. And Bradley Ramsey. Bill Martin inside. Showtime. All right, here we go. Hold your ears, folks. It's showtime. Showtime, everybody. Showtime. Welcome to the End of the Line podcast. I'm Rocky LaFleur in the Duckdown Studios back in Oxford, Mississippi. Other end of the line with me is a man that needs no introduction because he's kind of taking over Tuesday. A warden. Brian, I was close to you this weekend, brother. I mean, within, you know, because right now we're probably 10 hours, and I was within four hours, three hours of you. What were you doing? I went to Steelwater. I was left Thursday heading to Steelwater. My wife, being a veterinarian, had continuing education. And I rode around all around Oklahoma and looked at goats. And I'll tell you this, Ryan, what amazes me, I've been out there a bunch during the summertime. I guess I've really never paid attention to it. But the end of last week, you guys were kind of in a heat wave. I mean, y'all had heat warnings all over south, southern Kansas and uh, central Oklahoma. That area, hundred right at 100 degrees for highs, 102, something like that. It was nuts. But what amazed me, I went to a drive-in movie in Guthrie, Oklahoma, just kind of a suburb of Oklahoma City. Yeah. When the movie started, the movie didn't start until 9.35, but it it had dropped down to probably 65 by the time the movie started. 15-mile-per-hour breeze. No bugs, don't have to worry about a mosquito. You're sitting in a lawn chair in front of your car watching a drive-in movie. Dude, it was awesome. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's not always like that. But, yeah, I mean, <clears throat> it seems like last week was pretty hot. But we've had a lot of rain here in central Kansas. It's about three hours north of you, but we've had a lot of rain. So lots of standing water around, lots of flowing water, which... Isn't going to hold the mosquitoes, but the standing water sure is. So, lots of standing water, so we've had mosquitoes. Breeze usually holds them off, so that's nice. But yeah, not uncommon to see a very hot day and kind of a cool, cool evening. Um, as we get later into, you know, as we get later into the summer, into July and August, it's just hot. I mean, we'll go through periods where it's. 105, 106, 110 with a heat index. And then in the evening time, it's still, you know, midnight or 1 o'clock, it's still 90-some degrees. So, but that doesn't last terribly long. Usually it's 
<clears throat> it's a little bit more favorable, like the conditions that you were talking about. If you could pick any other state to live in besides where you live right now, what would it be? That's a tough one. I just got back from Alaska. It was pretty nice. I, can, I don't think I could deal with the daylight. 24-7. Colorado's fun if I was 15 years younger and could go up and down the mountains a little bit easier. It'd probably be great. New Mexico, it's a little flatter condition, but has quite a few big game options. So, <clears throat> I don't know. That's a tough, it's a tough, uh, tough one to pick. I don't, I, where, where, where would you go? You know, I think that every state has a fault. And 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 I, I would yeah. say this summer t- summertime in Mississippi it got named one of the is either number one or number two worst summer in the United States got ranked that yeah. like last week I was I saw it in an article so every state you go to has some kind of fault like California I don't want to go live with the liberals you know homeless people yeah. crapping on the street that's just no doesn't attract me at all maybe Northern California. Uh, I'm like Colorado, love Colorado and Utah. Cost of living is just so much more. Um, I could live 100% in Montana for three seasons. Yeah. The wintertime, there's no way. Yeah. I would, I would want, I could make it. I don't know if I would want to make it during the winter. But I think as far as values, I match up well with Southern Kansas and uh, Oklahoma. It's just something I feel at home when I'm in those states. And I've spent a lot of time there the past three or four years. And I just, every time I go, you know, I sound like Shooter McGavin off of, uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, yeah, you remember that line, you know, that government gets so hard to leave every time I come. But you, you know, what I'm Kansas, southern, yeah. southern part of Kansas and Oklahoma, I don't know what it is, man. I, I just feel at home around the people. Uh, it's no mosquitoes. It's summers aren't bad. Winters aren't that extreme. It's just bit, very conservative people. Yeah, cost cost of living's not that much different from Mississippi. And the thing about it is, you can make a lot more money in those two states than you can in Mississippi. Maybe I mean, depending on what you're doing, but yeah, you probably can. You know, I like the South. I love going to like Louisiana. My daughter's an LSU fan, but especially, I mean, she's a diehard LSU softball fan, but. I like going to the south. Yeah, but you know, like Oklahoma, you get past like Oklahoma City going west, it really gets dry really fast. Yeah. yeah. You're right. And I you grew can, up you in can, western Kansas, so it's the yeah, same I mean, territory. That I-35, correct me if I'm wrong, Ryan. Ryan, you live right there. Just about yeah. anything west of 35... It's not getting a lot of rainfall. No. Um, usually, Pratt is about 90 miles 
or so west of I-35 west of Wichita. And usually that <clears throat> right there, there's a line that runs through the state kind of north and south and angles kind of northeast through there. That's about the right amount of rainfall for like your upland game, like your pheasants and quails. Much it drowns them out. Not so little that they can't get rain, but where I grew up down by Garden City, Deerfield, Kansas, it was, I mean, there's years that we didn't have three inches of rainfall the entire year. So, yeah, there's, I mean, there was long periods of time for no rain. And it's 105 up there, but it's dry. The hottest sun, I'll tell you this. I'll close it out with this. The, the hottest sun that I ever felt in my life was this exact time last year. Um, you know, when everybody thinks about Colorado, they don't realize that half the state's in plains. Yeah. I mean, it looks just like Kansas. Half of yeah. Colorado is nothing but, you know, just the, the Great Plains. But yeah. last year, we were coming out of there. Uh, we had made a long family vacation, rode around the United States. And anyway, we were right there on that Colorado, uh, I guess a 70, 70, coming out of Denver. to Yeah, 70. Yeah, right on the Kansas-Colorado border. I'll never forget getting out of Suburban to, to go in a gas station. And I, the wind was blowing probably 30. I mean, the wind was blowing hard. But the sun, I have never felt a sun that hot. It was hot. And it gets hot in Mississippi and stays hot for a while. But it was hot. It was like just dry. Just let me take every bit of the moisture out of your skin hot. Yeah. And if you get, I mean, when you get up there on 70, it, that's the problem with up there. That northern part, Sea Garden City south of there, but that northern part of the state, um, it's real hot like it is in Garden. The difference is in the wintertime, it's not uncommon for them to get some significant snowfall to the point where they've had to fly in hay bales and drop bales to cattle and stuff like that. It's been it's been bad because Denver's not as far away and that rolls off. You know, there's there is a plane there, but you start gaining elevation pretty quick when you get close to Denver. Some of the horror stories that I heard that came out of Nebraska just this past April, everybody mm -hmm. had calved. Um, you know, you, you, that big blizzard that came through yeah. right there at the, the 1st of April. I know yeah. one farmer lost lost 80 calves on a ranch. That's, yeah. that's just nuts to, to, to brutal cold. I'm talking like frozen to the ground cold. The calves yeah. couldn't get up. It was nuts, man. Some of the stuff that I heard. I have to go pull it back off of a of, off of a text from with the guy. It just it'll just blow you away. We've yeah. never seen cold like that here, and it goes back to kind of what you're saying, man. And y'all have nothing protecting y'all. It's 
from that brute that that brutal north wind. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. You're exactly right. And the, the ongoing joke with farmers around here is old. when it gets in January when it drops to there's a you know usually a handful of nights where it's down three below or something like that with a wind chill. It's down thirteen below, and inevitably they start calving. And it's an ongoing joke that well it's below zero, so I'm sure everybody's dropping calves and. They're up all night with them, driving through the fields, trying to keep everybody alive. So, oh. Well, look, last week, we left it. It, it had been the, it was the week after, called it the aftermath. Where were you? What were you thinking? You, you know, you had so many thoughts going through your mind light bulbs actually started turning on what in the heck was going on you had a big huge celebrity coming in and i I know what you're thinking you know should i call and uh cancel this reschedule it should i you know what all do i need to tell him i really don't know and then the biggest one and I'm assuming before Tyler um, Jordan got there was your first time to go to your lawyer's office. That's the one that I'm interested in because, you know, I think that we'll finally get to see that brutal lawyer who he is. Yeah. So, I mean, everybody kind of leaves. Uh, I go home, spend uh, countless nights uh, laying in bed, looking at the ceiling. Uh, you're either crying yourself to sleep, your wife's crying herself to sleep. You're trying to explain to people what's going on. You don't want to go to the public because you're embarrassed. Um, <clears throat> and you don't have answers. Um, that that was my biggest deal. I just didn't have. I was ashamed of something, but I didn't know what I was ashamed of, and so it almost made it worse because part of you doesn't want to tell people, "Hey, look, I, you know, I really don't, I really don't know," and I've got a lawyer involved, and this is what. This is what's going on because they're thinking if you don't know and you're not in trouble, why do you have a lawyer involved? Well, because I'm smart enough to get a lawyer involved. Okay, well, if you don't know, then when they come back and charge you with this, how are you going to deny that? But I genuinely felt like I don't know. And, And probably the biggest thing with it was at that point, I just kept telling myself, you freaking knew it was Dan and George. You knew it. You asked where your clients were, and they gave you some vague answers. And I said, what about Dan and George? Oh, we questioned them and sent them on the road. Bullshit. So give me the runaround and play it off. I know exactly what's going on. I know who's involved. 
and whatever. So that part of it was really frustrating because I kept thinking, what do you guys have that you think is so great to show up and serve a search warrant? Because I knew from being in law enforcement what it took to get a search warrant, and it's not really easy. I mean, you have to have sworn affidavits that state you have evidence that shows somebody's breaking the law to the point at which you think there's other stuff going on and you're going to go in and, and determine that and gain evidence for the crimes that you have proof that are going on. So panic had for sure set in. You're trying to remain calm and walk through the street and smile and wait till you walk off for people to turn around and whisper. And people were, like, driving by the lodge, looking in, and when the lights were on, they would come in and, like, look around to see if things had changed, ask me questions. Hey, how you been? Well, not, I mean, not very good, obviously. Um, <laughs> I'm trying to put the pieces together and put my life back together. I don't really know where to start. And you're here to get them out that you had displayed down here because you didn't have room for it at your house, but now all of a sudden you have room. Yeah, that's fine. Whatever. So, and that was a friend of mine that I had it with, and he told me, he I mean, he was honest with me. He said, hey, yeah, come after my deer. I said, that's, that's fine, bud. I said, I understand. They're not in a mess, but... but I understand. It's fine. Take it. Whatever. They had already had what they wanted. They didn't collect any mounts because nothing, I mean, we weren't poaching deer or anything like that. So. Um, it's like you were wearing the old Scarlet A on your chest. I'm sure that those first yeah. few weeks following. Oh, it was months. It was months because no, nothing came out. And so in the meantime, I'm trying to get to my lawyer. I'm thinking, has he found something? Does he know something? Did he hear something? You know, what? So I load up, go to my lawyer's office. I remember specifically uh, at one point I was driving and my palms were just, I mean, sweating. And I remember that because I remember thinking when you walk in, a handshake has always been a big deal in my life, and I and I I believe that you should give somebody a firm handshake and look them in the eye, speak to them, and say nice to meet you or whatever. But but you know a, a good firm handshake is a long way. And I remember thinking on the way over there when I walk in, <clears throat> I need to give him a good handshake and thank him for helping me, and then move forward. And I remember specifically thinking. You're going to shake his hand and he's going to wipe it off on his leg because your palms are sweating so bad because you don't know what he's going to tell you. You're not used to being on the defense side of things and the prosecuting attorney coming after you. Usually you're working with the prosecuting attorney and law enforcement trying to make sure that justice is served and whatever. So now somebody's doing that to me. So the roles are reversed. It hasn't reversed on a state level. It's now reversed on a on a federal level. Um, I'm getting bits and pieces of what's what their initial 
contact stuff was for was for tagging was for hunting baited fields which were the fields that were replanted into wheat um there were some questions about manipulating the field um when you're stubbling the blinds do you, do you feel it's manipulating the field no that the the guide responded no. I said, when you come across an ear of corn, because we would go rake back behind us, we would use rakes and rake up a bunch of husks and then come up and cover the blinds. And so they said, when you come across an ear of corn husk, what do you do with it? Well, pull it out, throw it down, stick the husk in my blind because the ear won't fit through the loophole. Do you think that gives you an unfair advantage was the next question. And the guy said, no, I don't think, I think the birds are already coming to this field. That's not going to change anything. They're flying 15 miles to get to this field. That ear of corn that I throw down in the dark, they're not going to know and whatever. So extremely nervous, parked there, went into the city. I don't live in the city. I don't live in Wichita. I live in a very small community. So the next thing I know, I'm in downtown Wichita by the federal courthouse, by the state courthouse, or by the county courthouse, um, the jail, everything else. Lawyer's office is right there. I go in. I sit down. I look up. There's an article um, out of America's Top 100 Lawyers. My lawyer standing there with his tie on. I stand up and read it. He says he's been on... And at the time, he had been on a federal murder, murder uh, on the defense for a federal murder, eight different federal murders. He had seven acquittals and one not guilty. So I'm thinking, okay, these are federal murder cases. He's had seven cases dismissed completely and um, one not guilty. So surely, whatever I've done, he can get it acquitted or dismissed or something, um, or not guilty at least. And so I went in and shook his hand. See, so you felt confident. You know, that's a, that's a really tough. That's a what, tough. what I'm saying, what, well, I mean, you, your confidence level is at an all-time low. It has to be picked up a little bit by seeing, and this guy's pretty good. Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it, but it's this is par for the course, right? Your emotions are bouncing back and forth. It's like when you're, you know, playing Little League Baseball and you're at the bat, I mean, you feel good about it, but at the same time, you're nervous you're going to strike out. But here comes the pitch. Oh, no, I'm ready to hit it. Oh, what, what if it's a strike? Do I need to swing? What I'm swinging. What if I miss? So your emotions are bouncing back and forth, and you are feeling okay. And so he calls me up. I get in an elevator and go up to the second floor, wipe my hand off in the elevator, walk in, and... He's on a phone call and wrapping it up and telling the guy, look, don't worry, you know, you've got the best lawyer in the state, so probably the country. I got you covered. 
you'll be fine. I I don't know if he was talking. I could hear somebody talking, but at the time, I thought, is that for my benefit before I go into cardiac arrest, or are you really talking to somebody? So he gets off the phone. I hear the other guy say, okay, thanks, blah, blah, blah. He gets off the phone and says, whatever. So I, I shook his hand and said, well, what do you know? He said, I don't know anything. And I thought, okay. And he said, but I know we'll be all right. And I said, you know, are you, are you sure about that? And I remember him telling me, yeah, that we'll be fine no matter what. You're not, not going to do prison time over this. And I wasn't, I mean, I could hear him, but I was convinced of it. And I said, what are they looking at? have any idea what they're looking at he said i'm not sure what they're looking at they probably had a complaint against you or something like that so they sent these two undercovers to work underneath you they watched you for three years they had to start charging you with something because the statute of limitations was coming up where they couldn't go back and say well 10 years ago you did this and so they had to come in and start and to produce some charges so he said that's that probably triggered the search warrant and he said depends on exactly what's going on he said they have a five-year statute of limitations so i wouldn't expect any, to hear anything really probably for at least a year and it wasn't a feeling of panic or I don't know. The best way to describe the feeling was, I, I can't, I can't feel like this for a year. Like I can't not know. I can't lay awake at night and not sleep. I can't cry every time I'm alone. I can't wonder what people are saying about me on the internet. I can't defend myself. I can't because by this time there was stuff that came out. Um, it was all over refuge forms. Uh, Misty Morning Outfitters got raided. And it was page after page after page of people like Duck Dozer or somebody. Yeah, I know those guys. They're, you know, they're, they shouldn't have been busted a long time ago. No, you don't. You, you obviously don't because we weren't doing anything that constitutes that. So, um so so this is where that kind of that factor you you brought up multiple times hey if i'm doing wrong write me a ticket right now this is really where this comes into effect you know your lawyer saying a year we know in this story it's way longer than a year i mean dude I i don't think that people understand the understand one of the main parts of this story is, and even with Jeff's story, drag it out and freaking destroy way, way more than just, just, you know, busting somebody on some charges. There's so many fingers that reach out from this. And that's exactly right. Is That's their whole... I mean, that's their whole deal. It's like, 
being on a traffic stop in your small town and being and being drug out with the cops sitting behind you for an hour and a half. And people are like, what's going on with that? What do you think's going on over there? Because this is, they're just there. They're just there. And so they're ruining slowly. And that's their plan from the start. Is they take all the evidence that they think they got. And I'm so honest with you, I've wondered a lot of times if they just didn't push it off to the side, write their initial reports, push it off to the side, throw it in the box and said, let's sweat this guy a little bit. And they just start putting slow pressure just increases on you. It increases on your cameraman, guides. It increases on your neighbors. It increases on your parents, your wife, your everything. And as that pressure increases, people just can't handle it. And I'm not going to say that I handled it. I didn't handle it good at all. Um, I immediately, for the purpose of trying to sleep, for the purpose of just making time pass, I started drinking heavily. Um, it, it was, it, it's the only thing I could do that I felt, I'm not going to say it's the only thing I could do. It's the only thing I felt like I could do behind closed doors to get myself from one point to the next and not be constantly dwell. I mean, it just, it's something that just you browbeat yourself with it. You sit there and pound into your head and replay every hunt. You replay every hunt you were on with them. You replay every hunt, you know, and they told you stuff like, oh, yeah, we we followed you guys around. We've been following you guys all over. And one of my guides said, Team, if you're following me all over, you're putting a lot of miles on it because I filled up twice today. I filled up this morning, and I was in four different counties looking for birds. And I filled up again this evening. So, I mean, we knew some of it was, was bluffs, but... It was, it's it's that part where they're telling you nothing, and you're you're worrying, you're wondering what's going on, and so I left the lawyer's office. He, my questions to him were: Are they going to show up and arrest me? Are they going to arrest me in the park in front of my kids? No, they better not. You have a lawyer; they'll contact me first, and the, you know you'll come in. And then they'll do whatever. But you're not in a jail time. Okay, well, if I get I mean, arrested, I'm, I'm going to jail. How am I not going to do jail time? I mean, we I know get from it. Jeff's story that there was no contact made to a lawyer before. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, and this, that's going through my head, too. I'm reading his article in the Riverfront Times over and over. And you're you're crying while you read it. You're wondering if, if that's you next. You can see the desperation in the story and him telling it that it's you know, it's over. It's it's over. And it's like I, I'm not ready for it to be over. 
I mean, this is, this is I'm 31, 32, 33 time period here. I'm not ready to start ending this now. So I don't want it to be, I mean, I'm at my prime. I'm, I'm on top of my game and, and this is, I'm not ready to be done. I don't want to do this. My dreams were not to do this. My dreams were to go until I was an old man and then come in and drink coffee while my son or somebody else was running the show and the other guys were doing this and me just hear the stories. This is not part of the plan, the direction we're going. And so he, my lawyer reassured me confidently that he, that I had hired the best. I wrote him a check for $10,000 that day and said, thanks. And he said, once we hear something and uh, get ready to write another $10,000 check and then it's just going to go up from there. And I said, okay. And he said, uh, in the meantime, business as usual. And, uh, he said his rate was just under $500 an hour. And he said, if we end up going to trial, it's going to get real expensive. And I'm thinking it's already getting expensive. So, but he said, you know, we'll, we'll do what we can. And, and he said, I, I wouldn't worry about prison time or anything like that. I think you'll be fine. And, uh, I said, okay. So I looked there and there were some answers I was looking for, but I still didn't have the clarity of what was going on. I wanted him to say, Hey, they're looking at you because this. On the fifth, you shot 75 ducks by yourself. Okay. Oh, yeah. Whoops. Forgot to tell you that. So, I mean, something. Give me something that I actually did that you know that you can tell me so I can sleep at night. So, he, And he asked me the same questions. What, what do you think? And I said, I told you from the beginning, I don't know. But I've talked to the guys since. And... Lots of questions on the Migratory Game Bird Treaty Act. Lots of questions about tagging, um, party hunting, things like that. So I said, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to figure out what the laws are on them. And then I'll have an idea of what I violated and what didn't. He said, okay. And so I left, drove home, um, faced my wife, said, look, I... I don't have any great answers. I still don't know. Told her the same thing. I said, I'm looking at party hunting, this and that. So I started, I, I got a hold of another computer I had at this time. I started trying to, in my spare time, piece my books back together. Tyler Jordan was on his way. I knew it, but I didn't know exactly. I had went in and got another phone, so I had... No, no numbers saved, nobody's names or anything in my phone, because this was pre-backing up phone time period. So you're starting all over. Um, so everybody that calls, you're scared to answer because you don't know if it's a reporter, you don't know if it's a hunter. You have no idea what it is. The internet's going wild, talking trash. You're trying to read it. You're pissed off. You're drinking. The more you drink, the more pissed off you get. Then you're trying to call in or get a hold of somebody to let you on a forum. 
so you can defend yourself and you're trying to figure out who these people are and you're burning a lot of energy on things that you should not be burning energy on. So anybody out there that's listening that's going to it, don't focus on that type of thing. Focus, and I've told guys that have called two different, well, three different guys have called me since they got busted. And I've told them the exact same thing. Worry about it, what they've got. I know that's hard, but don't worry about what they got. Don't dwell on it. If you have a child at home, a wife at home, focus on that. This is just a job. I mean, it's your life, but in all reality, it's just a job. You've had other jobs. You've worked at the swimming pool when you were a teenager or had a paper route or whatever. It's a job. Life will go on. You'll live through it. You'll be fine. Push forward and move on. Don't sit around and let it run you like it ruined me. And so you've got to push yourself forward. And I wasn't. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to move. I wanted to stop time and return to where I was. And so I fought that and fought that and fought that. And the other side of me wanted to skip time because all I did when I had time was worry. So you drank, drank, drank. And drove wedges between all your relationships. Um, shortly after that, uh, Tyler was coming. And the reality that he was going to be here was, had set in. He's going to show up. We got to pick him up from the airport and his group. Um, you haven't been scouting. You haven't. You don't really know what's going on. You're scared to go scouting. You're scared to do anything. They've seized a couple of your guns, not your shotgun, but they've seized. Um, they seized the, seized the 17 HMR from me, and so really don't know what to do. But you're trying to make yourself be the guy that you were three weeks ago. So. I get a hold of my one guy in Hutch, and I said, "Hey, look, what Tyler's coming. We got to do something. They're coming to film. We've got to do something." Uh, Kurt, my lawyer, is telling me business as usual, so we're going to do business as usual. But I'm not carrying a gun. That eliminates any party hunting on my end. That eliminates lots of stuff. Um me being over or anything like that. If I'm not shooting, that eliminates a lot of problems. He said, I'll help you. I won't, I won't carry a gun either. I said, all right. So couldn't figure out quite what we were going to do. Show up, pick Tyler up, come to the lodge. Uh, when we pick him up, Bill Jordan comes off the plane, shakes my hand, says, if you have any problems with him, get a hold of me. I said, okay. Uh, I'm thinking this is very uncomfortable, but you know, business as usual. We we haven't we haven't we don't know that we've done anything wrong yet. So let's just keep going. So came, had a good time. They probably had a better time than I did because I was extremely stressed out. We tried to act normal, as normal could be after everything that went down and didn't really have an answer for birds. So we took them out the first morning on a hunt that was so-so. I mean, we had some shooting, things went okay, so-so. It was kind of a fallback field, 
Um, in the meantime, we had asked, we had been asked questions. They, they had brought up the baiting, hunting on baited fields. We'd put enough together to realize that that's what they were kind of talking about. So we were kind of avoiding those fields. Uh, and they were all over. There were hundreds of the fields like that. And so we were trying to avoid them and go to spots, cheat water in these places and whatever. So mediocre to poor hunt the first morning and panic is setting in a great friend of mine out of wichita glennie stevens gets a hold of me says hey last week there was a bunch of game wardens came your way i told you about it i haven't heard from you since they're saying it was you was it you i'm like yes it was me you know he's what's going on and i said bud look i i, I don't know i mean you've hunted with me a lot i don't know what's going on i would tell you if i did i don't have a clue but here's the issue i've got tyler jordan in here they're filming and we we've got nothing are you guys in them over there in wichita and i knew he had some spots that were right where the city had basically annexed around his land and so he had you know 40 50 acres of wheat right in the middle of the city and birds hit it on the regular so and i knew he had some private ponds around too he had pits and stuff like that so we we went the first day we went went out to a private pond in the morning and i sent you some of those pictures those were from tyler's guys took them where i was smiling sitting above a blind I think that was on the first podcast or whatever, and then throwing decoys out. And so um, it was all good and great, and we were we were doing okay. I'll never forget. We walked out, set in the blind. They had corn stalks on top of the blind, and Tyler was standing up out of the blind looking forward, and there's like an ear of corn there. And I'm looking at the ear of corn like, do I just start running right now or what? I mean, I know it. He's just cut full stalks of corn and stuck it on as a blind cover, but there's an ear of corn sitting right there. And so as Tyler grabs it and pulls it out and starts doing what everybody does when they get a piece, an ear of corn in their hands, it's peeling the kernels out right so that's fun that's a great thing to do with your thumb and kind of throwing his buddy and throwing at the cameraman and you know if there's some of them are landing in the water but he's not like filling his hand and throwing them in the water or anything i mean he doesn't know what's going on i'm freaking out and he's just kind of playing while we're waiting for things to start flying so i mean it was total panic in my mind and they have a camera there again and so you don't you're worried about what's on camera and and whatever so have a pretty decent hunt they and, the, and they decide they want to shoot some geese so we go we go into the city we go into wichita and we kill we meet up with glennie's family and they all come out and we shoot a limit before dark and Guess what? We pile them all in a pile by size, and we all stand behind them, and we all take pictures, 
and posed with heroes with Tyler Jordan and, you know, me, him, and the cameraman standing behind, you know, 30 geese. And it's all good and great. And still I'm oblivious to piling at this point, apparently, or I wouldn't have done it right away after that. So things go fine. Uh, we, we continue like we had, really not knowing. Uh, when it came to processing and hanging and transporting and whatever. And uh, they left. And that was kind of the end of December, and we were going into Christmas break, and I had kind of scheduled some time off right there around Christmas. And uh, things things got more interesting because then my my wife at the time started talking about divorce we had, wow. had, it, set, we had, had it set that previously. quick well we've had it set previously for my oldest daughter to be baptized and so we went to the baptism and all that stuff but then the the Kind of towards the end of December, beginning of January, it was it, the talks of, I, you know, I'm not sure if we can make it through this. Um, well, I mean, was it because of embarrassment? I mean, I know her dad yeah, was I mean, in law enforcement. Was it, was it the family was embarrassed by it all? Was I, it know, the I, drinking no. on your part? What I mean, what that, caused it? I, I mean, I think the drinking, I think the embarrassment, I think the, her probably looking at me thinking, are you really that effing stupid to continue on after what you just went through a week ago? And so my my emotions, it's like, if you're laying in bed crying yourself to sleep, why in the hell are you getting up at 4.30 in the morning to take guys hunting? So... I, I mean, I think there was there was a lot going on in a lot of people's heads, and it was very difficult. And I was, she did not have any of my attention, nor did my kids. I'd missed school programs, been present for the baptism, but then left, went drinking, and sat and read or tried to find anything I could on the Migratory Game Bird Treaty Act. When it was done, what 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 exactly was the Lacey Act? Um, I mean, I was drinking and reading, and then forgetting what I read, and having to go back and reread it the next day. But at least I knew I'd found it at some point, and trying to find out information on Dan and George and what these guys were about, where they came from, what was going on. I mean, it was, there's a picture of Einstein on a poster, and there's, like, all these equations above his head. And that's kind of what you feel like at that point. Like, just a bunch, those weren't random thoughts to Einstein, but when I look at them, they're random thoughts to me because I'm not that smart. But the... The amount of information that's just racing through your mind that you cannot stop is unreal. And the more you read, then you think, what does that mean? 
And what is an example of that? Or where can I find that? Or how do I search this? Or they're talking about tagging, but what is the actual law? And where do you get the tags? And what's required on the tags? And where does it say that? How can I not see this? And you're looking through regulations. And you're looking through other states' regulations online. And you're trying to read federal regulations. And nowhere is the law listed. And you you just are slowly putting together piece by piece. And you're working towards this code of federal regulation that I ended up with. And so over the course of the next year, I ended up with a more clear understanding. And so I... I thought I'm, I'm going to develop a solution for this problem. And when they show up to get me, any judge surely is going to realize that I didn't know this was a law and that I've created a solution to help other people. And so she's going to be leaning on me. And I'm going to be able to hold on to this dream that's now become a nightmare. And so. January rolls around, February, we're in Wichita, and it's me and an old buddy of mine that was best friends with my guide, with one of my guides that had went back to western Kansas, and it was one of my guides out of Hutch, and we started out at Twin Peaks and ended up at some hole-in-the-wall bar. And as we left, there was a set of taillights, or a set of headlights behind me. And uh, got the one guy dropped off, had my other guide with me, and was headed back. And I see, tail, I see headlights pull up behind me. We're in Wichita. I see him on a Friday night. We had just left the bar from playing pool and had been standing in the parking lot blowing our goose calls like idiots. Um, <laughs> and we leave, and I look up, and I see headlights in, behind me. And so I told him, I said, hey, I, I think there's a cop behind us. And so I signal, turn, and start towards the interstate and I get pulled over and he comes up to the vehicle rolled the windows down I put my hands up on the steering wheel he comes up to the vehicle and says do you have a driver's license to prove insurance I knew the game because I was just a cop three months ago so hand him the information and um he runs my information and comes back and asks me to turn the vehicle off and step out. So I step out of the vehicle. We go through some basic conversation, and he says, I'm going to ask you to do field sobriety for me because I have reason to believe that you've been drinking. So I was certified in, in field sobriety testing, and so I knew what the clues were. I knew how to beat the game. So I 
proceeded to make the mistake of doing field sobriety testing. Knowing that it's your soberest moment, it's very difficult to test, but whatever, I was bulletproof, kind of, but also didn't care at that point and thought I could beat it. And guess what? I didn't. Um, so he, I thought I was good enough that I still asked for a PBT on the street and he refused to give it to me. And I said, if you refuse my to PBT on the street, then when we get to the station, you want to give me the intoxilizer, which is admissible in court, I'm going to refuse your intoxilizer. And he said, that's fine. And so he refused to give me a PBT. And when we got to the station, I refused to give him an intoxilizer. And I sat in the Wichita jail in this county jail. Uh, Was that the lowest point? No, probably not. Um, the horse was coming down through the through the courts as well, paralleling this paralleling this DUI I was trying to fight, and it was a seventy five hundred dollar fight that. Um, so I was going through a lot of money, um, a lot of booze, and I mean, it, it was, things were, things were rapidly going downhill at this point. She, she had, I had moved out, she had filed, um, I had paperwork coming, I got a DUI. Um, that was February 12th. The reason I know that is because my birthday was February 13th. So I woke up my birthday morning in a jail cell. And that probably, it's hard to say the lowest point because it was about, it stayed about that level for, that was in 2012. It stayed about that level. Until about 2014, 15, maybe maybe even late 15. I mean, there were some there were some times where you started to to make the climb back, but overall, it stayed pretty low like that. So, ended up going through a divorce. I lived in my own lodge. And um, decided, hey, I've got, I can't do this. I can't live in this town. I can't be here. I've got to get out of here. Uh, I've got three kids here, and my ex-wife and her family and all of her extended family. I have no family here. We moved here because of her. And I was a sheriff in this county. I was a police officer in this town. Everybody knows I've got a DUI now as well. Things are spiraling out of control. I'm I'm going to sell my lodge and move. And while I'm fighting this divorce, and they're trying to freeze the selling of my lodge, but I've got to get out of here. I couldn't get out of town quick enough at that point. So 
Take your stuff. All right, that's where we're going to stop it this week. Right there. Packing up. Heading out. That's where we're going to stop. New Horizons. Or so I thought. You know, you got involved. Listen, I can't ask you really anything to further that story. You went into great detail. The only thing that I was guess I was thinking, you know, you're sitting in that jail cell, you got the weight of the feds on you, you got the weight now, but DUI on you you know, when you did sober up laid in that in that jail cell, what were you thinking? Knowing that you and your wife are probably about to officially officially split up. I mean that that's a lot of weight on a man's shoulders. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I, like I said, I just hit my 34th birthday was that morning. And so, I mean, you, you just, just for, for five seconds or 10 seconds while you're listening to this, pause after it's over when you shut it off and think, man, how, how would you feel if you had, Lost your wife, lost your three kids, lost your, you're now in the process of losing your driving privileges. You're facing a DUI. Um, You're in a jail cell. Happy birthday to me. Nobody knows where you're at. Um, Once again, you don't have your phone. Um, your parents are constantly worried about you because they know that you, it's a mess. You're a train wreck right now. Um, you don't know how you're going to get out. You're 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 embarrassed all over again. You don't know who you're going to call, and how how do you tell somebody this? And I knew my wife at the time would probably get me out, but she, we were separated. We weren't living together, and we were obviously not getting along. And she, of course, found out the next morning and brought it up off of a jail log. Somebody told her. So just imagine, if, you know, what has happened. I'm going to say, I'm gonna say this. Let me ask you this. As, as all these pictures run through your mind, these thoughts, these thoughts are pictures as you think about them, federal charges, DUI. Ex-wife or wife. Uh, so after seeing each one, I know the one that would pop into my head after each one. I see my three kids. Mm-hmm. That that's uh, that's the worst. And when you're an out, I mean, when you're an outfitter, you're like a teacher. You're off all summer, and so. I mean, it was like crab season when I was an outfitter. You made the money, and then when you were off, you you were back. I mean, you might have been away from your family quite a bit when you were making that money, but then you were off. So I would wake my three kids up. I'd put them in the bathtub. I'd get them breakfast. I would get them, you know, dressed and everything for the day. And, okay, what are we going to do today? Are we going to go down to the pool? Are we going to ride bikes? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? Let's walk down to the city office. Let's do this. Let's walk down the post office, whatever. 
my whole life changed. Now I'm my my best hunting dog of all times is 13, 14 years old. She had basically been retired to inside. I couldn't take her away from my kids. I left her. And I'm in a lodge in downtown Haven by myself, all alone, nobody around, no clients. My wife and kids are a few blocks away, and you're thinking they don't, not they, but she doesn't love me anymore. She doesn't, like all your friendships are changing. Your associations are changing. Everybody used to call you. Now nobody calls you. Everybody just talks about you. Walk into the gas station, walk out, they're talking about you. There he was. What do you think he's doing? I heard he got a DUI the other night. Probably shouldn't even be driving. I mean, it's, 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 nobody wants to look you in the eye. Nobody has time to talk. Hey, how's it going? Got to run. Cut cows being born or something, I don't know, but I can't, I don't want to be associated with you, talk to you later. I'll call you, don't call me. It's like, okay, nobody wanted to do anything with you. You can tell it in their voice. Oh, yeah. You can hear it in their voice. You can You can see it in their actions. Pull up to the their body. Not get out. And like not look at you while you're standing there. And Body language. Walk off and back up, and they get out and go in. Well, I notice one thing. That's where we'll close it out with this tonight. Notice you got into a discussion last week. I guess well, I guess it was probably Thursday while I was on the road. I was going to tag you. I'd stopped to get some gas, and I saw that the topic came up. And it was about a guy. He had delivered something to a game warden's house. This was posted on Duck South. And the state game warden didn't know anything about, really, anything about. only time you needed to tag a bird was if you give the birds to someone else. I bet you found out a lot different than that, hadn't you, as you researched this? Well, I had been busy too and hadn't had a chance to get on there and look around well then i got tagged to it and so i don't know how many comments are on it now 124 and i think maybe more but they all seem to be agreeing to the same thing and it's and it's funny that some of those guys will really stand behind one law and say you know well the only time you need to tag is this and it's like yeah that kind of I mean, you, you're true only, I don't think only is the right word to use, but, you know, even today somebody said something about, uh, there's no law that says anything about separation in the field, and there's not. And it, it, even the field possession law under 50 CFR 2035 states that whether birds are tagged or not, you have to be in possession of them in the field. So some of the some, you know some of the argument is well they can be in a pile in the field as long as you're all present. Well, this is that gray area of the law. That was and, a big one to me. And you can't. It's 
that, I mean, that's a true statement based on what the way the law reads. But I will tell you this, 99, maybe 100 out of 100 of your federal game wardens will write you if at a minimum you don't have them separated. And I've made the same argument on there. There is no separation law. I've, I've recorded 20 different game wardens and asked them the same thing. Where's the separation law? Well, there's not one, but if you don't have them separated, then it's they a huge but. Yeah. It's a huge, huge but. Because a Fed can sit there and say, all right, who shot this one right here? Tell me who shot it. If you can, I'm writing you a ticket. Then Larry's yeah. over the limit. Yeah. So it's it's interesting, and the guys on there, are all, I, I'm, in my opinion, I think are all good-hearted. They know. I think they know that I'm trying to look out for their best interests and trying to give them information that I've. Why would you ever take the chance and pile a bunch of ducks together with all the contractions that we have to personally hold ducks? Why would you ever take a chance and just pile up 60 ducks in a blind or a boat? I mean, and, and so their argument is <laughs> there's no law that says you can't. It says you have to be in possession. So what defines a person in possession? five feet away, 10 feet away. There is no separation law and under 50 CFR 2035, it says tagged or not, you have to be in possession of them. But the game warden or the federal guy is gonna tell you, you're not in possession of them if you don't know which ones are yours. That's exactly right. So that's the counter argument. And the problem is the guys are right to say, there's no law that says it can't be in a pile in the field. You're right. There's not really a law that says that. But the problem is, in order to have case law on that, you're going to have to fight it. And so if you're an outfitter and you have a bunch of birds piled up in your duck boat, and you get pulled over and you have 75 birds back there, and everybody's present in the truck, and they charge you with transporting untagged birds or being in the field and you having all your birds back in the boat and you've waded forward 20 yards. But you're, I mean, what defines possession? 20 yards, 20 feet, two miles, somebody going to the bathroom in the woods. I mean, what the problem is nobody, Jeff, and I admire the guy, you know that. He's one of the guys that, said I'm gonna I'm gonna fight it and uh, he's got bigger balls than I do because I I wasn't gonna do it. I thought I was gonna do it but I couldn't do it I couldn't risk the felonies to fight it and my lawyer told me when it came time and we'll get to this later if you it's like throwing spaghetti against the wall it takes is one to stick so one felony you're done and I'm like so that's the problem with it. I mean, these guys on the on your on on Duck South, they're right. I mean, there's nothing in the law that says you can't pile a hundred ducks in a in a in a pit blind. But 
you're you're at the discretion of possession when the game warden walks up, and they're they're going to argue that no, you're not because you're all there. Well, if you have a tag on them and the name matches the guy standing at the end of the blind, that you're I would say you're you're in a hell of a lot better off shape than if they got to walk up and say, okay, you shot this wood duck, but Bob did. Who shot this mallard drake that looks like the other 40 laying down there. Oh, Larry shot that one. I mean, they wow. they know at that point, they know at that point it's a 100% guessing game. Wow. And so then when wow. you start playing with them, they're going to push your buttons back. Why would you ever chance it? That's like, that's like getting pulled over and putting your window down an inch and saying, screw you. I don't have to put my, all I've got to do is give you my license. Well, I bet you within 10 minutes you're fixing to get drug out of that car. Oh, yeah. I mean, the law says show proof of insurance and proof of a driver's license. So you could literally, you could literally put your driver's license on your middle finger of your left hand and hold it against the glass and your insurance on the middle finger of your right hand and hold it against the glass and never roll your window down. But watch it, but it because it ain't go well. Yeah, but that's the law. You can do it. Same thing. But that's and it's not going to go well. So the whole purpose of the tags I produced were one to be waterproof, and two to be about the cheapest insurance a guy can get. I mean, they they average about twenty five cents a day tag properly so if the average duck hunter is in the field you know 40 days out of the year which is you think that's not a lot but it's a lot of you guys that have regular jobs aren't in the field that much i mean you're talking eight dollars a year just to be that's cheap insurance <laughs> oh Man. I just think that some people want to uh, buck authority. I just think, in, 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 whether it be, you know, regular cops, game wardens, whatever it may be, I'll show you. And to be real honest, at 30. 233, 34 when I was dealing with two undercover feds. And we were sure they were. I mean, we made the state. I made the statement. It's not what you think is going on, it's what you can prove. Because what you think is going on is not going on. So it's not what you think is going on, it's what you can prove. I, and I was one of those guys. So, that, whatever. I've been through KBI interrogation. I've been through. Police academy. I was a sheriff's deputy. I was a police officer. Put me on the stand. Do something. Whatever. I don't care. I'll deal with it. Then it came time to deal with it, and things changed drastically. It's like the the barking chihuahua that gets let out, and then the Rottweiler runs over, and all of a sudden. <laughs> The Chihuahua went from tough to not so tough. 
and especially after the first bite. Well, Ryan, pack your bags. You're moving, moving on, moving west. Moving west is the best way to say it, and we will jump back into that on next Tuesday. I really appreciate appreciate you taking the time to to be here. And it's almost eleven o'clock on Monday night as we record this. Uh, appreciate you being here. We want to thank all of you that listened to this edition of the End of the Line Podcast, powered by DuckSouth.com. <laughs>